Welcome to the Unleash Podcast with your hosts, Johnny and Kirsty from Unleash Strength and Performance. Hello and welcome to today's episode of on the Unleash Podcast. I'm Johnny. I'm Kirsty. And today we have a mobility expert and owner of Omega Fitness, uh, Ross Steele. How are we? Not too bad, not too bad. All's good. Yourself? Good, good, good. All good. Um, so uh, Christmas just around the corner, apparently. Christmas? <laughs> First Christmas tune on the radio. <laughs> First of November, and there we have it. Christmas yeah. is here. Um, yeah. So, Ross, go you on ahead and give us a wee introduction about, about what you do, why you do it, and how you feel it's important. Yeah, no problem. Um, well, obviously, as you introduced there, um, I am uh, Ross Steele, owner of Omega Fitness, um, based in Markfield. Um, I am a strength and conditioning coach, and I'm also a mobility and movement specialist. So basically, at the uh, at the gym there, my facility, we train both um, competitive and sort of daily athletes, as I sort of coined the phrase. Um, train competitive athletes basically for performance. And with regarding the daily athletes, um, training goals, it really does vary from body composition to looking to move better, um, looking to move pain-free, and just generally be able to live a, a good quality life. <clears throat> and I would say one of the sort of simplest ways to put it is uh, become harder to kill at the end of the day. So that's a good <laughs> Safety first. Never have it harder to kill. If you're, if you're moving better, you have a stronger, more robust body, um, your mindset's better, things are going to be looking up and you're going to be harder to kill like the end of the day. So yeah. that was a good one. <laughs> There's the episode name. Yeah. <laughs> I was wondering, like, I was going to say, right, we need to pick an episode name, so we'll have to, there, there, we, there we have it, there it is. I'd say um, you know. Yes, yes. Um, right, so uh, who is mobility for? Like you've uh, specified there, so you train daily um, athletes. Sort of, if you want to narrow that down to our listeners, basically, and then sort of, most people will pick up like a competitive athlete type thing as somebody who competes in a, in a sport, etc. Um, yeah, well, so, daily, athlete, um, daily athlete is anybody really who has a keen, a keen view and prioritizes their health and fitness, um, prior, both mentally and physically. So, and it could be anybody from your, your local barber to, you know, anybody working in an office, your accountants, anybody who, again, wants to make themselves healthier, fitter and happier at the end of the day. And again, yeah. those small ranges of ages from personally, I work along sort of ages of uh, about sort of 22s or so up to about 55 of my sort of age range. So anywhere in between that. Um, but ultimately, it is anybody who is keen to improve their health and fitness and basically be the best version of themselves um, as possible. Both again, mm-hmm. in sort of a, a personal life, um, but also their professional life because the health and fitness side does run into your, your uh, professional job, whatever that may be. Um, if you're healthier and you're stronger, you're training better, your mindset's better overall. Obviously, we have sort of some shit days along the lines everybody has, but um, overall, you're going to be a lot more happier and better in your, your working life as well as your, your uh, personal. You know, so it's, cool, uh, cool. There's no sort of set sort of person per se, but it's a, certainly it's a... Yeah. It's a, really. Yeah. I think, I think it's... Um, where where I come from is if I reflect back over since I started training basically 
And so where I'm at now, um, the knowledge and understanding, even about like mobility and why it's important for even somebody sitting at a desk all day. Do you know what I mean? And how that pain even comes about. Because if I say to somebody, like a new client comes on, but what's your job? Sit at the desk. Do you have many hip problems? Oh, is that for that's called? Do you know what I mean? Um, it- they don't seem to understand like why mobility is important. And that's yeah. just not in training. And as you say, everyday life as well. It doesn't need to be an athlete competing in competitive sports. It could just be somebody rocking up to the gym day in, day out. Like, you know yourself, when when I first started with you, it was straight in. And I was yeah. there was no... <laughs> There was no warm-ups, there was no nothing, there was just like straight in, maybe a wee bit of stretching here and there, and that was it. Whereas now it's all combined until, and we'll get into more of that, like the different styles later on in the, the episode, basically, but you're warm up, basically that's where I'm coming. Your warm-up used to be just like going down and tying your laces, and that was it? Yeah. Nope. <laughs> right, that's yeah. I think a big thing for me when I see in gyms is a lot of people are busy, so we lead busy lifestyles, everyone does, so they don't prioritise mobility enough. Um, if I could rewind back five years, I wish I prioritised it more back then. Um, still don't probably do enough now, but getting there with it, I think the thing is people just want to get into the gym, 30-minute session, go home, so they almost walk in, load the bar, do the reps, and out the door again, isn't it? So That's it. It's, uh, it's a key thing whereby... It doesn't have to be a big, long, drawn-out mobility session, like a big 30 or 40-minute session before you actually get into your lifting. Um, because sometimes mm-hmm. with mobility routine um, or priming routine, as I tend to sort of call it, that can actually hinder your lifting. Because if you're putting too much output into your mobility, it can actually then hinder yeah. your, your session. Plus, the other side as well is um, people tend to do drills in their mobility sort of pre-lifting routine that have no bearing whatsoever or no relativity, relativity to the actual sessions they're doing. So it's basically the way I look at it is if you had your session plan, say, for example, it was back squats, um, which I'm going to actually to do after this recording. So I have... Good, good luck to you. I know that. I'm a deal, so you can... <laughs> <laughs> I'll have no issues. I'll just be in. I'll so, probably walk in and do no mobility and just do deal. <laughs> so, Ross, you're going to give me my warm-up now for my session. <laughs> um, the, the, the squat session has what you call like a linchpin. So what is going to be the key determinant to the person's body that they would find is going to maybe hinder or improve their lift? So it could be hip flexors, could be hamstrings for somebody, could be overall hip mobility. It could be somebody's T-spine on a front squat, for example. Um, if it's an overhead pressing session, somebody's linchpin could be overhead shoulder flexion. Basically, if, obviously, if your listeners maybe aren't too well favor the sort of sciencey words, basically your ability to lift your arm straight up over your head. Um, so there's wee linchpins within the session that, people should prioritize and then that cuts down a, a, a warm-up session by maybe 15 minutes of wasted time so you could literally blast out five maybe six drills inside between 12 to 15 minutes and that you bang doing a focus mobility session and uh that you ready to rock in your, your lifting then you're straight into your warm-up sets you know um, yeah, I think a lot of people do what they've done in PE. So we quad stretch, we have flexor stretch, shake the arms around the head and away they go. Go <laughs> finishing your sandwiches after lunch then. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Forgot the PE kit, away you go the shoes and all. <laughs> yeah. Um, but like in terms of the mobility there, it's in sort of my sort of system of training, there's really a few parts to the mobility session. And obviously, John, you'll know obviously an insight of this. But the first bit uh, is really... Uh, <laughs> we'll just leave it there. Like. 
you can remember 10 minutes late just to skip that bit, lad. <laughs> <laughs> I dread that. It's, it, it, I think that, that spinal stuff is by hard the worst ever. Like. You'll have like certain elements of my uh, warm-up sessions would be the first bit is always sort of mobilizing the joints and getting yourself primed in terms of that aspect. The second bit then you're looking at uh, jumping into more potentiation stuff and priming. So we do a thing whereby it's um, what we call corrective exercises, depending on where the person's at. So the likes of um, like dead bug type drills, um, Superman type drills, just to get the body moving on sort of bilateral, unilateral sort of movements, um, getting things switched on. And then the third bit really is more sort of central nervous system stimulation. So that's where you're going to get the body fired and get it potentiated. Um, so like a wee superset I would do before any sort of lower body dominant stuff, like deadlifts or back squats today, would be sort of vertical jumps, um, broad jumps, maybe straight into box jumps, just to get that, the CNS lit and uh, ready to rock, you know, so. And yeah, that's, I think that's, yeah, basically a lot of the time people don't actually know what exercises to do for them. Because as we know as coaches and um, yourself, is that where you would kind of then individually tailor it? So you would probably do like an assessment or a screening and then move on to that? Yeah, it depends. Um, obviously, you've got your group-based training um, sessions, then you've got your one-to-one. So on the one-to-one front, um, any one-to-one, whether it be a competitive or a daily athlete, maybe somebody um, experiencing pain, pain-based movement, the first protocol is to get them in and do an assessment, do a movement screen. Basically, what we're saying is, it's getting the insights and to see, right, what are they experiencing and then why. And it's really looking to identify the source of the problem. Um, I think a lot of people tend to funny about too much with trying to treat the, the symptoms and they don't actually yeah. attack the source. And they wonder mm-hmm. why maybe they've been a foam roll for about three weeks and then next thing the pain is still there. And uh, yeah. that, old, that old sort of saying is insanity. He's doing the same thing over and over and expecting a different result until they actually go and attack the source whether it be a joint or a muscular-based um, problem, it's getting to that source. But that's where you find your movement screens, is identifying the limitations. And then that when obviously, gives us the the, uh, the roadmap, really, for how you treat them. You know, yeah. so, um, and when you say that source is getting, like, in your experience, um, since you started doing this stuff, is it more, do you find more people have just, like, weaknesses, like weak muscles, so to speak, and then... Or they're just tight muscles where they haven't maybe been doing enough stretching or um, um three parts of really first of all would be the um the experiences and their their habits of what they're doing has been with them. So what they're doing, maybe if they have been, as you said earlier on there, like a desk job. Like yeah, for, in terms of like a daily athlete sort of um circle, like desk sitting or sitting at the desk being a desk jockey, it's you should treat it as a sport. So if you're gonna be sitting at your desk for eight hours a day, you better train for that shit like. So yeah, yeah. Hips, spine, hamstrings, at least maybe obviously two, three times a week, if not having a, a bit of a daily flow. So having a wee bit of a 10, 15 minute routine that helps you actually combat the hours that you're sitting at the desk. Um, and then on top of that really is a case of with the assessment, is it muscular or is it sort of, is it joint based as well? Sometimes we find that a lot of people, they're maybe told that it is a weakness um, in the muscle but you also get into the joint because um, everything starts from the joint. And if you have a limitation in, say, for example, hip internal rotation, um, you wonder why your squats aren't performing well. You wonder why you've got hip pain. And if you've got no active um, internal rotation of that hip, um, but your, your glutes are firing okay, then uh, uh-huh. everything is going to be more joint-based. You know, So there is a mixture of 
people's experience, what they've been exposed to, and also then your muscular strength, but also your joint capacity, which is a massive one. And then you could probably add an injuries on top of that as well, if they've oh, suffered yeah. a bad injury. Definitely, definitely. In the past. Because that would all be central nervous system based too, like, um, wouldn't it? There'd be an element of, um, obviously, your history of the nervous system and what it's experienced. And your nervous system really will determine everything in terms of your mobility. It'll determine if you're strong enough to move into a position. Um, if you're not strong enough, it won't give you the access to get there. And you know, if you get people on top of that then with past experiences and they haven't done too much mobility to try and treat their source, it's the old thing where they're beating the square peg in the round hole, trying to get maybe deep in this. <laughs> Love that said. Love it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> beating away like and their squats aren't getting any deeper like and that's and then next thing they put maybe a lower back injury etc. So that's that's the difficulty you yeah. see in like but it's, it's uh, awareness really just getting the awareness out there and uh, yeah it's simple for people it's something I don't think there's enough of even now. And there's probably 10 times as much as there was when I started training, but there's not even close to um, like people's knowledge. And that's, I have yet, and I mean this, I have yet to tick on a client that knows anything about mobility. Mm-hmm. Anything. It's just stretching. That's it. And, and half the time, half the, half the time, they don't even know what stretches to do. We'll get into that conversation in a couple of minutes. Just. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Honestly, it's, it's mind-blowing. It's, it's mind-blowing. It, it really is. Um, yeah, so just from a daily athlete, so till, um, just sort of to pinpoint the term daily athlete, that's just anybody that would uh, train for a hobby, um, not necessarily competitive sport or anything like that or weightlifting sport or anything, just somebody who would live their day-to-day life looking to be pain-free and live longer. Basically, that's yeah. anybody looking to again who prioritizes their health and fitness. Um, and again, yeah. wants to move better, get stronger, and basically thrive for longer. And that's it. And yeah. in terms of sort of the movement side, it's um, like a lot of people I find whenever you ask them, maybe in terms of mobility or fitness and stuff, like how are they doing or how are they feeling on a certain given day? And the usual answer is, I'm feeling good. I'm feeling good. But good, good's not good enough. Yeah. If you, if somebody's feeling or moving good, it's not good enough. Like it's um, good will yeah. get you standard results. If you're feeling great, you're going to get mm-hmm. more results. So it's yeah. kind of pushing. Yeah. Um, and again, as I say, harder to kill at the end of the day. Yeah, it's the energy sources too. Like it's yeah. How how you feeling? Ah, tired. And I think that's okay. Aye, that's you know? aye. I think that's okay. You know, it's you just like what it's kind of like tired, but what's what's Kind of different. Every day is the same. Isn't uh, it? Every day is the same. They don't dig into the background of it, real, really. Um, it's like you say to somebody, it's like if you say <laughs> you're a carb cutter. <laughs> <laughs> I'm terrified of meeting this person. <laughs> he's, he's away. Back next year. He'll be back next year. <laughs> yeah, trying not to go off topic here, but it's the same sort of principle. Um, somebody who comes in trying to lose weight and they've literally been cutting their carbs for the last year and it's how's your energy oh, i'm tired every day all the rest of it um blah blah you know I mobility could have the same effect or lack of mobility could have the same effect if you have somebody who is uh, maybe experiencing pain based movement or again is sort of feeling tired on a consistent daily basis 
then they they'll have like that's their basically their home. That's their sort of that's all they know. So yeah. to really actually maybe feel a wee bit better gradually, and then next thing they experience a better potential of what they could actually be, both in the moving point of view on a and an energy level. Then they start to like think and figure out, holy shit, I can actually feel a lot better than what I currently do. So it's letting them sort of see that and get them a wee bit of a taste of that. And then once they have a wee glimpse of what the potential they could actually have, that's whenever they start to actually get the motivation and start to, it pulls them forward as opposed to them trying to sort of drag their ass through mobility training or strength training, whatever it may be. So there's that sort of mm-hmm. degree, sort of fulfill their potential. It's like anything, you have to see the benefits in it before you, um, oh, yeah. you before you actually trust and believe in it. It's that's the biggest part of fitness, really, isn't it? Um, because it's not a physical and or it's not an investment you can see straight away. It's like if you you have to invest, like it's not like going and buying a car or buying a house. You don't see that initial investment straight away, and because you can't see it, you don't you tend to just throw it out the back door, so to speak. Um, it's a it's long game. Like it's definitely you're. If you start to say like a, a mobility routine today, you're not going to see like a. You might feel obviously like a, a daily gain to a certain extent, but if you're yeah. looking long term quality health of movement and a better off a better physiology and a better body, it's going to be you know a good solid long term. At least before you see that, and then six months onwards, and that's the key with mobility training. Same as nutrition, um, and obviously your strength training. Whenever people come in to me. I say to them, don't worry about where you can be in six weeks. Think about where you can be in six months with consistent effort and input. Yeah. And your squats will be far better. Your deadlifts will be far better um, in X amount of months. You know? Mm-hmm. And it goes back to what I said earlier. Having a mobility flow that's short, or not short, but certainly more dialed in, and something that's easy to follow is because, same as nutrition again, if you have a plan that you can see yourself doing this time next year, it's going to be more sustainable. And more maintainable, you know. Yeah. Do you not cutting carbs? Not cutting carbs. Need <laughs> <laughs> to give people some context, not John. The wee series was brilliant. I I enjoyed it. I got some giggle. <laughs> it's a bit, of, a bit of banter. A bit of banter, like that's what it's all about, isn't it? Do you do you find Ross that since like kind of the whole lockdown thing that you've got more clients coming through to you for the likes of mobility and stuff? Because I know me as a coach, like when you sign someone up or go through a consultation with them, you ask them their main goals, and there's been a lot more recently have came through. Like I just want to feel better every morning when I wake up. Yeah, definitely. Um, the guy ran over the first lockdown. I sort of done like a an online mobility um, program. Like a wee bit of a, I think it was a five or seven day challenge. And then I led that on to a different program then. So there was people within that sort of saying like a similar thing. They wanted to move better. And I think it came to a point where because people were maybe a bit more, was sort of obviously based at home. And some people didn't yeah. train more because they had more time. But yeah. other people lay around your ass like. And uh, you do have that sort of saying. <laughs> You have the people coming who were maybe experiencing pain based, even younger people, Kirsty, at the minute. I train more younger people, say, as past six months. Um, yeah. Different Gaelic players, etc. And they're not more, they're not sort of, uh, what's the word? They're not fascinated now with trying just to fill the Gaelic tops with biceps and triceps. 
a lot of yeah. the younger ones are now looking to feel a bit better and move better because they know yeah. that that's a dividends down the line in their longevity of their um their playing career you know that's uh, true because i played sports from a young age and if i had had that back then i'd literally probably still be doing it but obviously like the the access like and the stuff that they have access to nowadays they need to kind of make use of it yeah but it's like you say you're not taught that in school you're not taught any of this in school so how's anybody like a 14 15 year old child gonna come out of school and get into maybe a weightlifting sport whether it be even gaelic football whatever you like or rugby or whatever you like and go and do mobility they're not going to do it because it's not drummed in from school there's a lot of shit you should be taught in schools that they're not taught on like in terms of nah. life skills. <laughs> <laughs> but they're just not <laughs> yeah Passively stretch your hamstring for 15 seconds and that's your way, like. <laughs> Bend down and touch your toes and you can only get down and touch your knees. <laughs> that's, that's another one. <laughs> um, but again, we can help out with things like these podcasts and stuff and um, help and social media. Uh, exactly. We can use the right tools. Um, it's not all negative. I suppose a lot, yeah. a lot of social media is negative, but... We can use it for our advantages as well and get this shit out here, you know, so people better, start to take it. There is a better um, focus now on it. There is a few more people, you know, and who know their stuff. And uh, certainly there's a bit more exposure, like through the likes of CrossFit and stuff. It's pushed a wee bit more, likes uh, on the app as a go wad and raw mod. So people yeah. are that style of thing. Um, the thing I would say about that is, as long as they're doing the stuff that's dialed in and focused to them, instead of you know, wasting their yeah. time. Yeah. With them. So um, that's sort of one side of it I would focus on. But there is a bit more exposure getting there now. And uh, a few people in the industry doing some good some good stuff like, you know. So. Good, good, red, good. Red yeah, so we'll push you on then and how that can lead into a competitive athlete, so to speak. So um, whether that be, uh, like we say, Gaelic player, football player, um, weightlifter, whatever you... Crossfitter, whatever you want to do, or whatever your thing is, or <laughs> I just left the In my sort of my gym there, like I uh, competitive wise, I did with various different sports. So obviously, I've worked along with um, both of you to a certain degree um, through sort of yeah. lifting, um, and then at, at the minute, I'm working with junior swimmers. Um, golfers and gaelic players as well so there's a broad range there and then obviously that's interesting because we know we know swimmers sorry to cut you off that's um we know swimmers to a certain extent some people just jump in the pool for swimming but we know like you wouldn't think there would be a great deal of mobility needed there because surely you can move your arms and your legs you know that's the thing (laughs) surely i guarantee there's somebody out there sitting saying to themselves if you're swimming you don't need any mobility for swimming you just move your arms and your legs and that's, <laughs> it. <laughs> that's it. That's it. You can't get your arm over your head. And then no. and then golfers as well. Well that's more we know that's all hips and arms too, shoulders too. Um no in terms of the, the sport now, it's it's really a case of we and the sort of the training system that I apply in my um my gym. We have a thing where we're, we're looking to basically gain more movement variability and more what we call degrees of freedom. Um, so by having more degrees of, 
of freedom. It allows the athlete, again, whether you're competitive or daily, um, it allows them to basically have more movement options, which then makes a lot more uh, harder positions available to them. And you'll get their sort of degrees of freedom and movement variability through training your joints and your muscles. Um, but the key thing to remember with any competitive um, discipline is that healthier joints will always make difficult movements easier. Um, so if you play, if you play up to like squats, or again, if you go into Olympic lifting, um, if you have more degrees of freedom within your hips, that overhead squat, that snatch is going to be a lot easier to come by. You know, um, ankle mobility is all going to be improving um, the availability of that that overhead squat position. But then on top of that, sort of a lot of people miss with the um, the competitive side of it is that yes, you're gaining more access to range of motion, but then what you get then is you actually open up range of um, sorry more access to greater tissue. So then you can actually get more access to tissue, which then can be actually strength trained to actually produce more force where you need it. So you're getting more range of motion, but you're also getting more force production, which is across every single sport discipline. Force production is massive, whether you're a swimmer, um, a golfer, or a powerlifter. Or an, an yeah. Lifter. yeah. It's all got, it all comes down to force production. And you get that by opening up new tissue and access to that tissue. And that's that's the true benefit into competitive uh, athletes, you know. So, what's in your yeah, lane? With powerlifting, if you're able to produce more force, the numbers are going to go up on the on the board, like which is what yeah, you want. Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah. Not on top of breathing rate. Not on top of breathing rate, which we'll get into. Well, we'll go. That'll be for another episode. How <laughs> like people can't breathe right these days. <laughs> Breathing is probably yeah. one of the most trained um, components of the human body, you know. And yeah. uh, you wonder why people do get back pain, shoulder pain, etc. Um, people aren't maybe sleeping right, etc. Um, so there's a big, a whole field of that. That yeah, uh, that's a whole episode yeah. on its own. So it is. We're only opening up the foundation. That's, right. that's for another day. But even um, like you know yourself, whenever and even when I've been to like like. Uh, Terry getting sports massage done or whatever it's the same thing like whenever like I never breathed right at all ever like you know yourself from going through mobility things I just tense up all the yeah. time and that's just you know but thankfully like I've sort of came away from that but <laughs> um, so great stuff so we're going a wee bit more about the different types of uh, mobility so we know stretching is obviously a type, and then we have uh, isometrics and all the rest of it. So if you give us a wee bit more of a background into sort of different types of mobility people could have access to if they wanted, um, and if it would be designed for any specific type of sport or uh, whatever, injury um, even, for that matter. Yeah, well, that's a big part of it is rehab and prehab. Um, I think the biggest yeah. thing to tackle, first of all, is the difference between flexibility and mobility so like a lot of people think mobility training is like flexibility training yes uh -huh. massive entities um so the thing to sort of focus on is flexibility is actually passive in nature whereas mobility is more active in nature so if i think about flexibility it's it's a range of motion that you can be moved into by an external aid so like if i was standing beside you there right now um and i could do lay down the floor and i basically stretch your hamstring bringing your leg up that's me passively stretching you. That's it's a bit of a guide of your flexibility in terms of your hamstrings. 
Whereas mobility is active, so it's you controlling your own body. And we want to have as much active range of motion as we possibly can for what we're asking our body to do. So passive range is good, yes, but active is, is better. Um, so that's the key thing to focus on, first of all, is flexibility versus mobility and the difference between them. Um, on top of that, then, with like so my system, the uh, you'll always have more passive range than you will active, but it's bridging the gap between the two. So I could have somebody who has deadly passive range of motion, uh, maybe like a, a gymnast or maybe a dancer, etc., and then the active range of motion falls short of that. Um, but you want to have at least 80% of your, your passive um, owned actively. You know, So if I have a huge amount of internal rotation on the hip, I want to have at least 80% of that passive range as my active range. If there's a big drop-off, you need to bridge that gap. Um, so there's a couple of ways you can do it. Obviously, you've touched on the, the likes of the, the stretching. So basically, that's a passive stretch. Um, mm-hmm. The one thing I do find that people go wrong with on passive stretching is they hold it for far too short a time. Um, and it goes back to the old sort of, maybe back in school, we were just finished up. A soccer match is like 15 second hamstring stretch. Yeah. <laughs> five side football days, maybe. Um, the lads are finished up playing match and uh, the boys are lighting up flags maybe 30 seconds after. A- yeah. <laughs> so the key thing maybe if you want to take something away from this podcast is if you're doing any passive stretching, hold your passive stretch for at least two minutes because it takes two minutes for your nervous system to sort of switch on and really pay attention to what you're actually doing and to sort of um, get that stretch working just the way it works with the uh, neurological side of it. So a two minute passive stretch um, where possible. On top of the passive stretching then, um, we have sort of different ways of stretching. We have active stretching, which is called kinetic stretching, whereby you're actually moving in and out of the stretch using contractions at the same time. It's quite an effective one. It's a bit more dynamic. Um, which I would use for sort of pre, pre-lifting. And on top of that, then we have isometrics, which is a huge one. Um, I would use isometrics with every single client, whether they be competitive or rehab-based. Um, isometrics are the safest part of sort of uh, contraction-based work. And they also allow you to sort of dial in um, just the intensity of the, the work you're doing. And also on top of that, they also reduce the inflammation in joints. So if somebody is really experiencing rehab work um, or pain-based movement, it allows us to, to work on that. Um, isometrics, like they can be whatever intensity you want. Like Johnny, you'll know 100% isometric. I'm going to add there the bloody hardest. <laughs> just, just for us, for some of our listeners that might not understand what type, like what's some of the isometric, isometric stretches then? So that's, well, no, we'll let Ross do that. <laughs> it's not so much a stretch, it's more of a loading system. Um, so, for example, if I was trying to think sort of the easiest one to try and visualize. Hamstring stretch, for example, we'll go back to hamstrings. Um, if I was yeah. a hamstring, take somebody into like a half kneeling position with their right leg out in front. First of all, if you're stretching your hamstring, you also want to keep a soft bend in the knee. Um, sometimes if people stretch the hamstrings with a locked out knee, it uh, aggravates the sciatic nerve. So stretching the hamstring, um, if you had them in that setup, I would find a bit of a mild stretch, maybe a sort of a six or a seven out of 10 by moving the belly button and chest over the top of the thigh. And then from that position, I would start to put load into the floor through the heel. So you're actually contracting into the muscle, which helps us to uh, bypass what we call the stretch reflex inside the, inside the muscle, which then gives us access to more range um, yeah. as well as at that, at that range of motion. Um, so it's more of a loading system 
in terms of passive stretching? I think I, I think a good way to describe it would be sort of uh, pushing against an immovable object. Would that yeah, be right? That's, yeah, yeah, that's yeah. Um, in terms of your Yeah, the floor is going to be yeah. your immovable object, and your contraction. We did it in the lap a lot, didn't we? Oh, <laughs> I remember <literally>. then. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> and kneeling the squat from the hole and pushing against the ton of heavy weight. And <laughs> on the mobility yeah. side of the Olympics, the key thing is again, you can do them at 30% of your maximum. You can do them at 60, at 70, at 100% maximum. So, whatever stage you're at, whether it be in prehab or rehab work, isometrics are the best to a certain extent because you can dial in on that certain intensity. And uh, that allows you to really focus on it. Yeah, and you have loads of this stuff anyway on your social media, don't you? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. yeah. isometrics. Yeah. Like, whenever I look at your social media, it's full of like less stretching, passive stretching, if you like, um, and more isometric stretching. Um, so if you want to give your handle out there or, or username where people can follow, oh, um, I'm trying to what it is. Um, on Instagram, it's Rossi Omega, R O S S I Omega. So you can check it out. Um, yeah. I do try and keep most of my stuff pretty. Sort of simple to a certain extent. Um, I do throw up, throw up a lot of like joint rotations, etc. Um, yeah. Trying to keep the more detailed stuff down to sort of minimum because it kind of can be quite overwhelming um, up on the, the ground. Yeah. Um, but uh, on top of that, there's a couple of different wee things. There's also a uh, mobility series as well um, that I have up from maybe about a year and a half ago on YouTube. So there's a couple of nice wee drills you can actually um, carry out from there: spinal, shoulder, hip based. So you can maybe take something away from that as well. Yeah. I think one of the main questions I'd be always asked is when, like if you're giving someone daily mobility routine, when is the best time to kind of perform that? Um, for me, I kind of would be like first thing in the morning because that's when most people are stiff. But if you're getting up, don't set an alarm early enough and stuff. Is it ideal to do that still in the house later at night or, you know? Uh, first of all, yeah, you're definitely sort of kneeling the head there with first thing in the morning. Um just the way it has a knock-on effect on the, the body. So if you're lying sort of sleeping um, for whatever, six, seven, eight hours, um, the body's it's not obviously getting any movement really. So whenever you jump up, get your joint movements in, get your body moving as, as sort of soon as possible, and it will prime your nervous system sort of straight away, and you will feel a lot better, especially if you're training first thing in the morning. Like, don't go into your lifting session without a, at least 10 minutes done. Like, and everybody's got 10 minutes. You know, there's sort of just a... Your priorities really, you know, so everybody's content. Yeah. Unless you're up at 5 a.m. with the door, but it's only past. Back to sort of people's schedules and stuff. Like if they if they have to do their mobility in the evening time, then that's it. The best time to do it is the time you can actually get it done and stay consistent with it. Um, but on top of that, morning time would be best, yeah, just because the, the impact yeah. it has on the body. Yeah. And even just before training, you know, as you say, it doesn't need to be 20, 20, 30 minutes. It's just 10, 10, 15 minutes just before training. Dial in, dial Instead in. Get, getting it in and out in 30. That's <laughs> <laughs> a sort of session, lad. <laughs> um, yeah, so benefits of each sort of, as you, you sort of went into the passive stretch and an isometric, what are, what are the benefits in terms of a daily athlete, uh, competitive athlete, so to speak? Yeah, well, first of all, the, the passive stretching element, we'll sort of take it in terms of the, the sequence you would do them in. Um, passive stretching, 
for a daily athlete, it can be just as simple as just feeling better. So if you had a two minute, again, hamstrings, we'd use them as an example. If you had a two minute hamstring stretch, um, you will have a bit more freedom in that muscle after that two minute stretch. So automatically you're going to have that sort of quick relief um, and sort of that sensation of feeling better. In terms of obviously your passive stretching for competitive and improving somebody's long-term mobility, um, the passive stretch then actually allows us to just switch on that muscle and get more range available into the, the working system, which then allows us to strength train a bit more um, in that muscle muscle tissue. With the isometrics, in terms of a, a daily athlete, um, it's really just going to be more in terms of just making them healthier and more resilient. And one of the biggest things in terms of my mobility and training system is, yes, you want more sort of functional mobility, um, but you also want your joint resilience up as high as possible, which makes you more of a robust person um, in terms of your, your sort of resilience. Like, which then in turn will make, if you're talking about a competitive side of it, if you have more resilient joints, you have less risk of injury happening, which is massive. Which then on, on top improves your uh, longevity of performance. And not to say that actually injury is completely um, stoppable. It's, you can't prevent injury happening yeah. all the time, but you can yeah. do a shit stuff to actually prevent it. Okay. Yeah. I think a lot of the time it takes someone to get injured to realize how important mobility is. There's your share coming, I know it is. It's not a problem, it becomes a problem. That's exactly it. It's not a problem until it becomes a problem. Like people just paper over the cracks and again they'll maybe rely on foam rolling, etc. to to make them feel a wee bit better in the short term. And once that's sort of that injury or whatever is working, that build up. Once that just accumulates and accumulates and just exponentially grows, the body will throw the toys out of the pram and it'll just say, fuck you, like, I'm away here. And that's whenever you find yourself in back. So um, that's the key thing. I think that's important too, because a lot of the time it does, say for it is a daily athlete rolls out of bed and their back goes, then they realize mobility is a problem and it's an issue. But what they then don't probably do enough of is the rehab to get back to the trainer. So it's yeah. taken maybe a number of years for that injury to occur just randomly one day, but yet they'll expect to be back in six weeks or four weeks. Yeah. People, like mobility training is the exact same as nutrition or strength training. People want results yesterday. They want to yeah. uh, have a better spinal mobility yesterday. And like if I had somebody coming for a six-week program, program, they'll want to get the hip mobility, like, right, how long is this going to take? How many sessions? And I'm like, well, how, how much effort are you willing to put into this? You know? Mm-hmm. It's the exact same with, with that's the yeah. yeah, it's the hateful part, isn't it? Um, people just don't want to put in the long effort. And it's, it's what you reap, you'll so like, if you put effort in, and if you're training, the big thing with mobility training that I see is, even if somebody is doing the program, sometimes they still treat it like, as like an add-on, so they're not putting in the same intensity they should be. Um, within the sort of training sessions, so they're not actually getting the stimulus out of the nervous system to be able to propel them forward and progress. Whenever you sort of outline that to them, then they start to pick up the intensity and they're actually training the drills with intent, whether it be a passive stretch or more um, isometric loading, then they start to see real progress because they're, they've got the buy-in and uh, they treat it with the exact same intensity and training intent as they would with, say, back squats five by five, you know? Yeah. Hundred percent. Um, great stuff. Um, one last question is: uh, a lot of our 
clients now are new to the whole sort of lifting capacity and are actually down into the sort of powerlifting sort of side of things. Um, or some of them is just continuing to keep working with the barbell um, and get better with the barbell, so to speak. What advice would you give them that I already have? <laughs> For anybody just look, like getting into powerlifting? No, a lot of our clients is just getting into powerlifting, so to speak. There's oh, a few of them going to be competing now in the next oh, few good. weeks. Um, obviously, I filled their head full of advice, obviously. <laughs> um, <laughs> sort of overwhelmed them too much, so to speak, and at the head of them and whatnot. <laughs> Um, but uh, but there still is a few clients just looking to get generally better with the barbell and just generally better their lives, so to speak, and get better. Fit. What advice from a mobility side of things would you offer them or say to them, basically? Um, first of all, sort of repeat what I mentioned earlier on about the dial in with a bit more of a, like a linchpin type style warm up or priming routine. Yeah. Um, follow off that sort of sort of similar routine. So get some joint mobilizing drills done. Um, Maybe if you want to break it down and focus on three main parts of the body, um, is your spine, your shoulders, and your hips. They are basically three filters that your nervous system will view how well you move. So if your filters are shit, your brain's going to get terrible information. If your filters are good and clean, i.e. mobility is better in them, you're going to get more up-to-date information about how well you move. So that's a key thing to start. Um, you can throw ankles in there as well if you're squatting. So that's sort of one thing. Um, follow it up with some activation work and sort of corrective exercises but also finish off with your potentiation work just get some sort of plyometric based work in doesn't have to be too crazy three sets of three and just get the body switched on and in terms of a training environment as well what i would say is work your positional isometrics so if you're in a squat um, if you're opening up a deeper range of motion in a back squat spend time in that back squat so literally barbell um Go down into that squat, hold it for 10, 15 seconds, and really try and drive load and, and force in that position and really work your positional isometrics because it'll make you a far better lifter over the full the full movement if you're breaking it down and sort of getting better at certain stages of it. And uh, yeah, just put the effort in, keep it simple and keep it sustainable. Don't try and take on a mobility program or a mobility routine that you can't see yourself doing in six months, eight months, or even six weeks. Yeah, and from that front, we'll push your services a wee bit here and see if <laughs> do you offer any sort of online mobility program for lifters or maybe uh, one to ones or whatever it is. Yeah, um, certainly do. Yeah, so I have limited space in terms of one to one, um, sort of in person, but also online. Um, I do online coaching in terms of uh, mobility, so it would be basically a similar process movement screen first and foremost, um, and then. On top of that, the movement screen again. That the movement screen really opens up the the roadmap for where you're going to go to, and obviously dictates what you need, obviously what you need to work on, what your limitations are, and where you sort of move forward with that. And it's all supported through sort of the online training app as well. So that's the way I work my my stuff. I think we've said already, like it's an investment, but that's where the benefit of having someone do a screening on you comes in yeah. rather than just downloading stretches from the internet because of that. You might be doing the wrong stretches for you, plus the moves you're about to do, they might not even make any sense. 
to be relative. It has to be relative all the way. Like, and yeah, that's really the nail on the head. Like uh, earlier on, Kirsty, in terms of if you have like a group session, um, you maybe have say six or eight people or whatever. Um, is there wee things you can sort of focus on with somebody else who's maybe whose T spine doesn't move well? Um, so you give them a wee bit more of a an alternative to really dial in on them. Um, all the people's hips might be working well, but you need to really focus on the relativity to yourself and what your movement limitations are. And yeah, don't be sort of comparing yourself to anybody else. Like, don't be scrolling through Instagram and saying, "Oh my God, she can squat ass to grass. Why can't I do that?" That's oh. the thing, though, isn't it? Because uh. people are weary about posting stuff if they can't squat that, but it might yeah. just be a mobility thing. They're like, "Oh, I'm going to get called out. I'm not deep enough." Or like, if you can't, if you can't move somewhere, you can't move somewhere. And if you can't yeah, move, yeah. That, you're not going to be able to produce force in that position. Um, so, mm. but your body is nobody else's. So, comparison is the old thief yeah. of joy. But there's also a, there's a degree of not having the mobility to move something. Like if you're constantly posting a video online over a period of time and you're none of your squats is deep enough or whatever it is. But like I see people not post things because they've had a bad day and maybe their hips are tight and they're having a bit of a you know a bad day and the energy levels isn't there or their nerves is a wee bit higher because they're lifting heavier or whatever it is. Um, I know do it simply for that fact they're afraid of getting called out on. The jury's a social media. Just like this. Whatever it is, it is. Like you're training. If you have a good coach beside you, you'll fix the problem. Um, as you said, like if you're doing mobility, you'll fix the problem. And who the hell cares what anybody else thinks? It's like it's, everybody has their bad days in terms of just maybe hips are feeling a wee bit, wee bit nippy yeah. here and whatever. And maybe the back's a wee bit stiff. But at the end of the day, like in terms of squatting, obviously it's been maybe a, a key thing wrong through the full podcast here, but because um, there's such a demanding movement. Like nobody has mm-hmm. to really squat ass to grass. The best squat is the one that suits you and is the safest for you to perform. Yeah. You can literally yeah. train a, you can train a certain variation of a squat, a goblet squat, a box squat, safety bar squat, whatever it is, um, to your active depth. But meanwhile, you can be running a mobility program at the side to try and improve your depth. Um yeah. same as like, nobody has to deadlift from the floor, but everybody should deadlift to some to some degree. Yeah. Yeah. So, it's just a case of, you know, well, uh, um, some people squat wide, some people squat now, some people squat. I seen that in sport, uh, squat university one. Huh? Yeah, uh, yeah, it's a good one. But everybody can squat. Exactly. <laughs> squat, squat, deadlift, bench, squat, push, pull, hinge, lunge, carry. That's the main. Your yeah. Main Brilliant. Brilliant. Um. So that. What, in your opinion, Ross, just before we finish up, how can we help spread the awareness on this? Um, we've obviously used social media and, and everything else, um, our coaching tools and stuff uh, as well. When plant, new clients come to even us, we'll continue to push this stuff. Well, I will, as long as I breathe, basically. Um, <laughs> um, but like, how, how else can we sort of keep pushing this stuff out here? Because, as I said, like, there's not enough knowledge on it um, ever. I think the key thing is, first of all, obviously, like in terms of my position, is giving people value um, through uh-huh. the extensive and making sure that they have enough access to drills that suit them and giving them enough variety of what sort of people need on a daily basis. So if they're seeing the value from actually doing the training and feeling that wee bit better, then gradually they'll sort of they'll take it up a bit more and they'll see the, yeah. first of all, they'll feel the benefit and then they'll tap into that potentially they have. But as long as we're putting out enough content there to make people sort of aware and, and focus on right shit, this shit can actually work. And like whether you're looking to train um, pain-free 
if you're rehabbing, if you're basically looking to perform better in performance, or if you're looking to be a wee bit better in the sack, whatever your goal is, like that's. I man can't use their hips. What about the hip thrust? What is that? I'm not doing that. <laughs> as long as like, if you're giving value, but you're also if you're keeping it simple, the people can digest it. Um, if it's not simple to a certain extent, then people will very quickly sort of disregard it because they won't give it the time and effort. So it has to be simple and achievable for people. Yeah. It um, needs to kind of fall into that, like training has become so simple for people and now it needs to fall into the same bracket. Um, yeah. If a fees are a bit cure, they're not going to do it. So it's probably... Uh, but you don't know, do you? Like, it only takes one person listening to this. Take it on board. Try it. Start it. Order my thing. Mm-hmm. And you just have the whole... You maybe have another 10 people taking it on board. Do you know what I mean? It has to be simple, but it also has to be the right thing for people. Like, you could, yeah. Put, yeah. Simple, you could put simple drills up all day on Instagram, Facebook, whatever. Um, but they could be just pure shit. And it could be no no benefit to people at all. Like, um, So it has to be simple, adding value, but it also has to be the right stuff. And sort of, um, yeah, that's that's pretty much pretty much it. Like as long as people are, are learning from it, and like if somebody saw an Instagram post that I put up, say over the weekend or tonight or whatever, um, if that post helped one person, I'm happy. Like you know, and if yeah. you probably tell somebody else, and then you've got that exponential yeah. growth. Yeah, yeah. No word of mouth, man. Great stuff. Well. Well, Ross, thanks very much for coming yeah, on thank you. Um, today and speaking to us about that there. Uh, we will aim probably in a few episodes down the line to dial a bit deeper into things, um, especially the reading and stuff as well. Um, but uh, thanks very much. Yeah, thank you. Thank you very much for uh, having me. It's been a pleasure, as always. Cheers. <laughs> I'll see you later. I keep that bike away. <laughs> <laughs> All right. See you later. Cheers. Bye.